Pericles, Prince of Tyre, Episode 3. Hello, and welcome to the commentary track for Episode 3 of Pendant Productions' Pericles, Prince of Tyre. I am Jeff Robinson, one of the co-directors for this production, and joining me now are Adam Blanford, uh, my fellow co-director. Adam, great to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. And we are also joined by our dramaturge for this production, Morgan Z. Sowell. Morgan, great to have you once again. Glad to be here. Hello, all you Pendentians out there. <laughs> uh, like I said, we are now on episode three, and you are listening to uh, our narrator, Gower, played expertly by Theo Holt-Bailey. And I want to start off by just giving Theo kudos for this four minute long introductory monologue. He gave me like five takes of it. So literally this one line alone, you guys, took him like 20 minutes to record. That is commitment. Five complete takes, that's amazing. Yeah, just uh, the, and the delivery is just absolutely on point. Yeah, it was it was such a real pleasure to to listen to him and and all the takes were you know brilliant. Could have used really any one of them. So and then the mixing process, you know, he refers to so many things that just uh, easily you know call to mind certain sounds. You know, the cat with iron of burning coal now crouches for the mouse's hole. So it was a fun opportunity to mix in little uh, bits and pieces there. Which, which really helps. I mean, he's painting a wonderful picture with his words, but just having that extra layer of, of sound to go along with the story he's telling us adds a great deal. Absolutely. And you, and you have to follow what he's saying pretty closely to kind of uh, kind of uh, figure out what's what's gone on between acts here. You know, there's sort of a... It sounds like there's kind of a revolt at home in Tyre, and uh, people say, hey, Pericles is gone. Let's uh, let's appoint a new ruler, basically. But... But uh, Helicanus stays, stays faithful. Her desire, which who shall cross, along to go. Amit we all their dole and woe. Which seems an extremely complicated plot point for Shakespeare to just throw in the background of everything right. that's going on. Thanks a lot, Will. Right, exactly. The flood hath their keel cut. And now we get to uh, the beginning of, uh, yeah, the, the most complex scene of this particular episode to edit with... Uh, the storm, you know, kind of layer upon layer of sound. First, you've got the creaking ship, then you've got the ocean waves, you've got the wind, and then finally the thunder laid on top of it. So uh, four four layers of ambient sound going on in the background throughout this scene was a, a fun, uh, fun challenge to juggle. And a baby and running in and out and characters coming in and out. <laughs> yep, exactly. And that leads me to a different point uh, that often takes me a while is, uh, Adam, I don't know if you found this to be true, but I always find footsteps to be one of the trickiest things to get exactly right. It's like, you know, they're walking on a, a ship, so you got to make sure the footsteps are on wood, for example. you got to make sure the pacing is yep. right. You've got to make sure, you know, is the person wearing the right kind of shoes? So it's funny. You could find so many different footstep sound effects that just don't work before you finally find the right one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you're when you're looking for the footsteps, the the most important thing is to make sure that you've got a differentiated gait between each yep. person. So um, sometimes what I'll do is I'll just take the same um, I'll actually take the same footsteps clip and then I'll pitch shift it and then I'll I'll just kind of stutter it a little bit different. Um, and uh, but you're right. I mean, high heels on a on a wooden surface wouldn't work very well. Um, right. But 
most of the time, if if I find one that's of good quality and I can just kind of modify it a little bit, then I'll I'll run with it because you don't want to you don't want to worry too much about what people are going to think about the footsteps. It's just it's right. there as an as an, as gravy. Right, so. exactly. Yeah, you can always but at the go same down time. The, the wrong set of footsteps that at the wrong moment can throw everything off. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You you definitely don't want the want some, want the big burly guy tiptoeing in very lightly on little cat feet or anything. <laughs> so uh, it, it's it's always it's always a balance. But um, yeah, I'll, I I think one of my favorites. I was I think I was using sneakers on wood, and I was like, you know, why not? Why not? That that, that the, the sound is good. And we can just play with the, the pitch a little bit and then make it more. All soul shoes. Auto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a critical scene to get the music uh, just right, you know, really kind of a melancholy here as you as you learn that, uh, you know, Pericles' bride, Thasia, is is uh, dead. She, she died during childbirth. So, so um, you know, getting the music right at this moment, um, I was really, really happy when I landed upon this tr- this particular track. Uh, by Josh Mullen, who, who does all the music for for um, this production, uh, and said thought it fit the scene just right. He is an amazing, uh, amazing resource, amazing talent. Yep. So, yeah what what is your uh, what is your strategy for picking out music? Do you, do you go to the website and look for it, or you know, like how do you how do you find that perfect piece of music? I I always save it for the end after everything else is done all the sound effects all the scene transitions and such um and then just kind of um sort of search different words that come to mind so if it's a if it's a sadder scene I might search for the word like uh melancholy thankfully Josh Mullen does a great job of sort of tagging all his tracks with sort of the the feeling of of the track so that makes it really easy and then you just kind of listen to you know five or six or so different tracks. Um, you know, you can definitely go down a rabbit hole and obsess over it way too much and just never get anything done. Oh, yeah. um, so uh, I'll just tend to sort of say, okay, here are here are four tracks. I'll give these a listen and sort of pick out pick out which ones works best. And so far it's been surprisingly not not as difficult as, as I would have feared. Oh, yeah. Music used to terrify me. I, I, I kept away from music for about the first two years I was doing anything because I... I didn't think I had the knack for it. And so um, it was definitely, uh, it's always a fun challenge to find that right piece of music. Yep. And this one is, is interesting because, you know, you you want really cool dynamic music to underlie the scenes, but you also don't want like the electric guitar going on while Pericles is talking because of right. the anachronism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did try to avoid, um, you know, tracks with, with uh, modern instruments that... Uh, that would feel out of place in a in a Shakespearean production set in a more you know traditional Shakespearean time period. I thank you. Say what coast is this? Well, this is a this is an interesting play to me because it's it's got this like weird agglomeration of Elizabethan with Grecian with I mean there's so many elements that kind of bleed together and it's not really clear what time period it completely exists in. It's like they cheated and just threw it all together and stirred it. Right. (laughs) And now we transition to uh, Ephesus uh, and uh, Ciaramon, the physician, the uh, 
sort of wind chimes you're hearing in the background is the is sort of the cultural cue that I picked out to to signal that we're transitioning to a thesis um, sort of envisioned uh, you know wind chimes outside uh, outside his house or outside his uh, workplace blowing to kind of let you know okay here's where we're going next but it also it also serves as a wonderful weather transition from the storm sure. in the last scene to show us okay the storm's mm -hmm. over now we have tinkling wind chimes yeah <laughs> yep. double duty Everything's calm. The very principles didn't mm -hmm. seem to rend, and all to topple. Pure surprise and fear made me to quit the house. I want to give kudos here to um, some of our sort of utility players in this production you'll hear in this scene. We've got uh, Brady Anderson, Gentleman 1, Devin Zaccardo, Gentleman 2, and uh, Matthias uh, Blake um, as well. And uh, let's see. Uh, um, but... Uh, yeah, he's playing servant one, but uh, you hear them in in different roles throughout the production, and uh, you know they all did did some great work. You know, uh, you know it's uh, it's important uh, in Shakespeare. You know, when you do a stage production, you'll often have uh, actors playing many different uh, smaller roles, servants and such, and uh, you know it might not have as many lines, but uh, it's no less important. You know, you've got to have those characters. It can't just be all the leads all the time. So uh, yeah, this, kudos, this episode also cool. saw uh, E. Rachel Ward and uh, James Strickland, who were a couple of yep. sailors earlier. Uh, mm -hmm. Those th that crew, that ensemble cast, they've been knights, they've been pirates, they've been servants. Exactly. Uh, the people Just on the in the street, span of one play. Yes. Imagine the costume changes they'd be making if this was uh, live. Exactly. <laughs> Lots of quick changes. This sound effect was a tough one to get right. The uh, the sound of dragging dragging Phasia's coffin across the floor went through a lot of uh, different options before I settled on that one. <laughs> between between that and chiseling it open and creaking it open, I knew this was going to be a rough chapter for you. <laughs> uh, it's always the more the more the merrier from my perspective. <laughs> Got to keep it interesting. And then you can hear the faint sound of seagulls in the background. I didn't want it to be sort of overpowering. And, you know, if the seagulls were too loud, it would have an almost comical impact. But uh, try to keep it nice and subtle and sort of make it seem like they're off in the distance. Searman here played by uh, Dave Morgan, who is the director of uh, Pendants the Kingery. Uh, you know, just a just a great example of how uh, we've got such a great group of folks who take on so many roles from directing to, um, you know, appearing in productions to, uh, you know, script writing. You know, it, uh, it's a, a, a company that inspires loyalty and, and people to stick around for many, many years and many, many different roles. I do not know how long I was listening to Pendant before I ever got involved, but many of the same people who are putting out content uh, a decade ago before i ever logged onto their website the first time uh, are still there still putting it's out true. Stuff. it's true yep <laughs> so i i do have to ask did dave throw in and throw in any improvs in, in uh, the audio 
Uh, I I think for this one he didn't. He might have he might have had a couple of f bombs or such when he when he messed up a take, but uh, that was about the extent of it. <laughs> but we've definitely had some good ones. Uh, Russell Gold, our Pericles, has had some great ones. Uh, Kirsty Wolven has had some terrific ones that uh, I'll definitely compile at some point. <laughs> well, Dave is a legend in terms of coming up with uh, with with improv lines according to the original. You know, it, They'll take nice. the script and then improvise something completely different um, on on the fly, and it's just it's it's gold. Like I I did mixed for another show that uh, that they were in uh, the Insomnia Project, and uh, they were making all sorts of improvs with every line. It was it was fun. I I threw in a whole I threw in everything for some episodes. Another show that I worked on with Dave, I'm pretty sure every line he improved, I was better than what I wrote. So they all went in. <laughs> Begin to part their fringes of bright gold. The diamonds of the most praised water do appear to make the world twice rich. Live and make us weep to hear your fate, fair creature. Another scene where the music uh, really sets the tone. It gives you sort of a hint of, you know, something something wondrous to come, which is, of course, Thesia coming back to life. Which is good, because with the wrong move, this really could have come off like Frankenstein, his, his speech there. <laughs> I, should, I should create an alternate cut with, like, a Frankenstein Lightning type of striking. Music. <laughs> it's alive! She lives, she lives. <laughs> and at the same time, in far away Tarsus, Pericles returns to the house of Cleon. Now we transition back to uh, Garen and Julia as uh, Cleon and uh, his wife, uh, Dionysa. And um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, if you know what's to come, if you know what's to come in this production, and, you know, it's Shakespeare, I don't think you can really give spoilers for Shakespeare, so I can say a little bit. You know that, uh, you know, there is treachery afoot here. Um, so in a minute, you'll kind of hear some music that sort of ominously suggests that uh, their motives are not not very pure. It's written so oddly because they seem so likable in the first scene where they're starving yeah. and Pericles saves the day. There's no hint that they, my gosh, this is going to twist darkly. Uh, yep. That's Shakespeare. He's a pretty good, he's good at this. Yep. So yeah, definitely it was going for a dark and ominous tone here with the music suggesting that, uh, oh, you know, they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll take great care of your daughter. No, no problem. But uh, that does not turn out to be the case, as you will hear shortly to come in episode four. Yeah, they're jerks. <laughs> it, is, it is nice that the foreshadowing that you put in there, because it is a rather sudden heel turn uh, that they pull off. So it's nice that we have some hint that is coming. And of course, definitely want to give a plug for uh, Russell Gold again as uh, Prince Pericles in this episode, as ever, uh, from beginning to end of the episode. Uh, terrific performance. Um, you know, again, such a such a huge investment of time and energy into into this role, um, you know, not with just so many lines, but truly understanding the text, um, you know, which you do have to read read your lines uh, maybe a couple of times, two or three times through before you really can can absorb what the character is supposed to be saying. So kudos to him and to all the cast for, for interpreting the text so well. Indeed. And Pericles is in so many different places in every scene. I don't mean the locations, although that too, 
but the emotional levels he has to be at from yes. the most utter sorrow to co light comedy to I'm, in, I'm on a uh, a shipwreck. Right. But since King Pericles, my wedded lord, I ne'er shall see again, a vestal livery will I take thee to, and never more have joy. Madam, if this you propose as you speak, Diana's temple is not distant far, where you may abide till your date expire. Moreover, if you please, a niece of mine shall there attend you. I wonder if I threw my wife off a boat, if she somehow survived, she would miss me so much she'd become a nun. <laughs> uh, mine would be like, you know what, you live, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While his woeful wife, unto Diana, dedicated herself. And back to our closing credits music, signifying a sort of the adventures to come. Continue in episode four. Nice adventurous theme, because it is a globe-trotting story. I don't know if Shakespeare has written any other plays that take place in so many different countries simultaneously. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in to this commentary. Thank you to uh, my co-director, Adam Blanford, and uh, dramaturge Morgan Z. Sewell. Uh, we will be back for episodes four and five, uh, which coincide with acts four and five of the original Shakespearean text. But uh, this has been a pleasure, and uh, we look forward to joining you again soon. Godspeed, everyone. Have a good one.